Welcome to Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and high regulated industry. We're talking fintech, regtech, sextech, and more with thought leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world to share insights, trade viewpoints, and get us all thinking about responsible innovation. And here is your host, Dara Tukowski. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and highly regulated industry. And before we dive into today's topic, I just wanted to take a moment to thank Tech on Reg's newest sponsor, BAI. BAI is a nonprofit independent organization delivering the financial services industry's most actionable insights, including research, thought leadership, and most importantly, training, enabling leaders to make smart business decisions every day. A sincere thank you to BAI for your support. Now back to business. Um, today's episode, NFTs or NIFTIs as many casually refer to them, Lots of hype and understandably so, particularly because, you know, people sold one of those for over 69 million bucks, and that's a lot. So from art to music to video clips, are nifties the new medium for art distribution and collection, or is this just another fad fraught with legal complications? Let's see. Today we are joined by Professor Lamont Black, Associate Professor in DePaul University's Department of Finance and Real Estate, who also teaches a graduate school course on blockchain to explore this topic with us. What is this new technology? How is it changing the way we purchase high value items? And to help me wrap my caveman lawyer brain around it all. Welcome to the show, Lamont. Thank you, Dara. It's great to be here. So I think a fair place to start is, Lamont, can you help my listeners understand what is a nifty? Sure. So my guess is many of your listeners have heard about them because they've been in the news uh, quite a bit recently because of some of these big art sales. But uh, I think conceptually, it's helpful to just step back and think about the underlying terms and what they mean. So fungible is a word that means, you know, something that is exchangeable or replaceable with another item. So you could think about maybe like a $20 bill being tradable for another $20 bill and it's, you know, the user or the owner might be indifferent between those two pieces of paper uh, or some commodity or shares in a company. But uh, by the way, we're we're talking about fungibility because NFT stands for non-fungible tokens, right? right? That's right. So a non-fungible token is um, a token that is not exchangeable or replaceable. And uh, what's unique about them is that they create a, uh, uh, an ownership to some digital asset. And this I think is particularly important right now because as we're moving towards a more digital economy and shifting from physical assets to digital assets, there's a lot of interest in how do you establish ownership over a digital asset. And, you know, digital assets would seem to be more fungible in nature. You know, we can copy things and share them. We do that often, you know, day to day with different files on our computers. And so if we want to have some unique ownership to a specific digital asset, how do we create that link? And that's the real innovation of a non-fungible token 
and why people are very interested in owning these tokens and having that ownership stake. So I, I just wanna back up for a second. These digital tokens, these non-fungible digital tokens, they they're supposed to represent ownership of an asset, right? Yes. But in the case of digital art, correct me if I'm wrong, it, the NFT isn't the artwork itself, right? It, it sort of, it's a token that either refers to or, or points to the artwork. But the digital, like the actual image itself, the, the JPEG, the audio file, whatever it may be, it's like somewhere else. That isn't the nifty, right? Yeah, I think that's part of why people are very confused and I think kind of scratch their heads when they hear about non-fungible tokens because we typically think of like with artwork, owning a physical piece of art that you can, you know, put in a museum or hang in your home and it's clear that you are the unique owner of that physical object. But when you start talking about a digital object, which can be copyable or like a JPEG file or something like that, then simply, you know, having that JPEG on your laptop would not be a unique ownership because that same JPEG could exist on someone else's laptop. And so it's really not about the actual digital file. It's more the actual ownership record itself, which is unique. So the one analogy that someone used with me was a baseball card analogy. So in, in, my, in my mind, you know, uh, baseball cards, hundreds of thousands, millions of baseball cards, the same baseball cards are printed all the time, but you might have one with a unique signature. So to me, that signature, that unique token, to me is sort of like the equivalent of a baseball card signature. Am I thinking about that wrong? <laughs> No, I think that's exactly right. And uh, I think that's why, where we're seeing a lot of the action in the non-fungible token space is in sports memorabilia. So uh, NBA Top Shot was actually one of the first examples I heard about uh, from my students. I had a student in one of my undergraduate classes who had bought one of these uh, NFT uh, videos of a, of a slam dunk from a basketball game. And he, you know, through Zoom was able to, to show it to the rest of us. Um, and so people are interested in having this kind of unique uh, memorabilia and, and it used to be the physical baseball card, but now like a little video clip, but just like you were saying, it's not the actual clip itself. It's, it's this unique record of ownership, which would be like a, a kind of like a sports signature. And I think what's super interesting about that is how that then relates back to blockchain because Blockchain is the underlying technology that makes non-fungible tokens work. And a blockchain is basically a ledger of uh, signatures that record some transfer of ownership. And so we're, I think we've come to get used to this idea of signatures as it relates to like transferring uh, Bitcoin on the Bitcoin blockchain. But uh, because, you know, the, the like Bitcoin white paper think refers to signatures in that sort of way. Um, and so here we're kind of thinking about something like an athlete signature that would then signify this is a unique digital asset and this individual has some unique ownership of that asset. So Lamont, you've used the word unique like a lot of times. And 
that I think that's part of what makes my lawyer brain hurt. And I think a lot of people get confused by saying, oh, you have this unique asset, this unique asset. You may have a unique signature, but like the clip isn't unique. The JPEG isn't unique. So it sort of brings me back to the question. Um, you know, I recently listened to an interview that you did for WGN Radio about this very topic. Um, and you you made a statement during that interview that ownership was the name of the game. So if ownership is the name of the game, when you buy an NFT, my goodness, what the heck do you actually own? My legal colleagues and I, we there's five different lawyers will give you five different answers. So what do you think? So, you know, I think if you think about it from the perspective of blockchain, you can think of it as like a digital wallet and you have this token, this non-fungible token, which uh, is in that wallet. But then I think the question is, well, what is the relationship between that token and this digital asset? And, and I think it's, it sort of gets into this interesting evolution that we've seen in blockchain where it's transitioned, I think, from just a transfer of value to uh, being able to do additional things on that blockchain. So if you think about like Bitcoin as being a blockchain which simply transfers the value of Bitcoin from one digital wallet to another, well, when we started into the Ethereum sort of era, we've now been exploring all these uh, uh, decentralized applications, smart contracts, and really trying to build different types of architecture on a blockchain. And I think what we're seeing now with these non-fungible tokens is how do you create a record of ownership which um, is unique to the individual. So there's only you know, that digital wallet with that token in that wallet, but it might be attached to a digital asset, which then you know, could reside elsewhere. So you, like you're pointing out, the, the actual asset doesn't rely, uh, reside in that digital wallet. It is a record of ownership that resides in that wallet. And I think-, and I think Part Go of that ahead. is because like from a practical matter, like it's just too big, right? Like the 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 assets themselves are just too big and, and these platforms were not designed to uh, actually transfer um, those types of files like they could, you know, one billionth of a Bitcoin, right? Well, I, you know, I, I think scale could be an issue there, but I, I think it's actually more so um, you know, with a digital asset, it's just much harder to establish uniqueness. So even if you could put a file into a digital wallet, it's, it would be very difficult to ensure that that file isn't somehow replicated or shared or distributed to other people. And so like when you think about the, the kind of craze around NFTs or NFTs right now, there is a part of that's being driven by scarcity. You know, there's only, you know, a few hundred or a few thousand of any given thing that's For being, now. Uh, right. Uh, <laughs> and so, right. So if, if people could just simply start, you know, proliferating these video clips or these JPEGs, then there would be absolutely no value because in, then anyone could have them. And so 
that's actually what I think is interesting about NFTs is it's not the digital object itself. It's this record of ownership, which cannot be duplicated in that same manner. Well, so that brings us to sort of a complicated topic. Um, and I think a complicating factor for digital assets generally. Um, physical assets, for example, are not fungible. Even two copies of the same book will have, you know, variations, a typo here or there, the binding is different, the quality of the paper, what have you. By contrast, digital media theoretically can be reproduced identically and infinitely. And it will not vary in any meaningful way, except for maybe the timestamp for when it was created or the IP address on, you know, uh, on which it lives or where it was transferred. Um, so we run it as a result, we sort of run into, and I think this is where a lot of lawyers start their, start getting stuck. There's lots of other areas where lawyers get stuck, but the copyright laws that exist that are on the books of the United States right now have already sort of had a problem with assigning copyright protections to digital assets. Under copyright law, there isn't such a thing as a unique digital media asset that can be bought and sold on a secondary market because media files under copyright law are essentially treated as fungible. There's some exceptions to that, but it's sort of it it's known as the first sale doctrine. So that's sort of like the first like place where, you know, lawyers get a little stuck, um, which goes back to the what do you own part of it, right? Because if you're not even getting sort of like the basic protections, copyright protections under the law for this thing that you're promised is unique, right? You're, you're promised it's unique and you're the only one that has this particular token. As of right now, the law doesn't protect the uniqueness of that token. So what are you kind of left with? Yeah, well, I think it's not by coincidence that a lot of this innovation with non-fungible tokens is taking off in the arts because, you know, if you think about the history of art, either uh, visual or audio, you know, we've seen this transition from physical paintings and physical CDs or LPs to these digital files like an MP3 or a JPEG. And so then, you know, I think there has been a bit of a crisis in those uh, markets of, you know, how do we manage copyright? Uh, like, I, I think this history in, in music of like Napster and the distribution of music online and then the implications of that for the music industry were very relevant to what we're seeing now because I think you know, the music industry had to figure out this kind of new form of streaming service so that then, you know, artists can still uh, earn royalties. But those um, assets are sort of managed by a platform like a Spotify or iTunes. And so what I'm hopeful for is that this could lead to some form of kind of democratization of artistic digital art uh, rights and distribution where you don't necessarily need some centralized streaming service. You could have artists that are being compensated for the objects that they're creating. But then I think to your question, then the question is like, if you own one of these non-fungible tokens uh, attached to a, a work of art or, or a piece of music, 
What exactly do you own? Because at this point, in some sense, it's kind of like bragging rights or personal satisfaction, you know. Uh, you're just cool. Right. Like you're, you're, just, you're just super cool and building your portfolio of nifties, right? That's right. And, and so the origin of these nifties goes back to like an Ethereum, like crypto kitties, you know, people being able to create these little like images of cats that are unique. They have, you know, different <laughs> colors. And you think, well, what's the use or purpose of that? You're but like, because I want it. That's, a, that's right. And you feel special. That's right. And, um, and so I think that's the big question in this market right now is how do we transition from it's cool, I enjoy having it to how do I actually sort of establish value or property rights and what, what rights are then uh, can be given to a, a user or an owner of these different assets um, because I think that transition is, is still pretty unclear. For sure. I think, I think it's definitely unclear, but I want to go back to one uh, issue that you pointed out, um, and that is the democratization of art and giving artists, you know, sort of the ability to monetize their work and, um, you know, their contributions to the world, which, which is important. On the flip side, because I'm a lawyer and I can't help myself, on the flip side, it also sort of provides an opportunity or platform for people who want to do bad things to undermine the ability of, you know, the creators and the true owners of, of that art because anyone can create a nifty, right? Any, anyone can create it, even for an image that they don't actually own. They shouldn't do it, but they could create it. So are we in in essence creating an opportunity and a platform to sort of undermine the entire goal of what these nifties were actually created for and supporting artists and you know the creation of a platform for you know the secure transfer of you know digital distribution um, in some ways nifties allow sort of infringers on that art to create art through tokens without knowledge or permission of the original artists. And you won't really know about it until like later, until like after the bad guys made a lot of money off of your original artwork, which is why I know there are so many people who get frustrated with lawyers. It's like, oh, you gotta, you know, you're crapping all over everything and you're stifling innovation and like you're getting in the way of things. But a lot of these are really legitimate questions um, because just as you want to promote the democratization and you know promote innovation in terms of how uh, these tokens can be used in the right way, you also have to sort of think about and account for how the platforms and nifties can really be used in the wrong way, which like was like perfect cue. It's like enter the regulators. Yes. Because anyone who thinks that they're just going to sit back and like let this marketplace sort of exist uninterrupted and undisturbed is, I mean, well, I just, they're delusional because that's not going to happen. I think a lot. What do you think about that? Yeah, I totally agree. I think uh, I think there's a lot of similarity to what we've seen with the ICO mar market, the initial coin offering. So there was a lot of optimism in the beginning and there was kind of this proliferation of new coins but then people started to realize that there was a lot of fraud 
There was a lot of pump and dump to these uh, new prices. And so with nifties, I think we're going to see similar efforts toward fraud and uh, short-term speculation. And, and, and I think that's, that is often the case with new innovations. You know, it is kind of the wild, wild west. Uh, this is kind of the frontier right now of the blockchain crypto space. But I also think that, um, you know, coming back to your point about kind of, you know, what would prevent someone from just sort of creating some new nifty attached to some piece of art, which would then potentially defraud the original artist. Um, you know, and that, the consumer, right? And the, you're, right. you're defrauding two yes, people. Yes. Um, you know, I think that then goes back to the blockchain technology. Like, I think it's impossible to really understand how this is going to play out unless we really can understand how blockchain as a technology is being applied to this purpose. Because, you know, the original innovation of Bitcoin was how do we, if we're going to try and transfer some form of electronic cash from one digital wallet to another digital wallet, how do we verify and ensure that that electronic cash is actually in that first digital wallet, the, the seller of the Bitcoin? And that's what blockchain does. It, it's a record of previous transactions. You have that entire history, which is immutable, that is transparent, everyone agrees on and knows this Bitcoin resides in this wallet. And if, if this person wants to sell that to this person, we're going to move it from this wallet to the other. And so it, it solves that double spend problem. It, it prevents that duplication or fraud or, or counterfeit in the, the digital space. And so I think that's really what is happening with nifties, um, which would be these, these tokens, non-fungible tokens residing in a digital wallet. And so if you are like a consumer of nifties and you're going to buy one of these, then I do think there has to be a, a certain level of financial literacy almost to, to know that what it is you're buying and to ensure that this uh, wallet that it is coming out of is the the actual owner of that nifty not some sort of um, uh, substitute or manufactured uh, alternative so if we can get to a place where that record is kind of verifiable in the blockchain and everyone knows what's a real nifty and what's a fake nifty then i think the power of blockchain will really shine and and i think these transfers of ownership will be legitimate. Well, doesn't that sort of, I mean, I, this is an analogy to the same sort of uh, stressors and oversight and questions that many of the initial, uh, you know, uh, platforms, you know, the the uh, cryptocurrency platforms, Coinbase, Kraken, you know, wh whoever it was, the questions that they were being asked and what sort of responsibility those platforms, and to me, the same would hold true for any platform um, that's gonna provide an online marketplace for uh, NFT sales or purchases, um, to be subject to sort of like consumer safety regulations like any other sort of e-commerce platform, right? There's, there's not a scenario in our environment, in our regulatory environment, where you just get to throw a platform up there and let people do what they do. 
that doesn't like that does i mean god bless america and the freedom of contract but like that doesn't actually exist right if you're going to provide a platform and a marketplace for buyers and sellers particularly unsophisticated consumers there is going to be a level of uh, protection that you are going to be expected to provide so where does that responsibility lie is it always going to be the end consumer does that responsibility lie with the platform what are the representations and warranties of the sellers and then what are the regulators whoever they may be and by the way we don't even know which regulator is ultimately going to take ownership over this platform because no one can decide whether or not is it is it personal property is it a commodity is it a security in some situations it may be all of the above we don't know because it all depends on the i'm going to use your word unique nature of the transactions right yes i totally agree that you know we there has to be a role for regulation um just like we saw with the ico markets you know defining what is a utility token what's a security token what falls under you know these laws what falls under other laws and so i think we're going to see that same evolution in the nifty space um but i also what i find interesting about it is you know again coming back to blockchain technology it allows for this decentralization and you know obviously exchanges have to be regulated and and in particular because many people are buying these nifties as a form of digital asset under the the goal of price appreciation earning a capital gain turning around and selling it later that starts to sound an awful lot like a security and so uh you know i do think the can SEC, we say howie test yeah that's let, right let, let, you know let, let's talk about the howie test yeah, so, uh, you know, the regulators are not going to just turn a blind eye to that uh, when these things become traded like uh, securities for investment purposes. But I also think like if you look at like the cryptocurrency exchanges and the, the diversity that we see there, you know, there are sort of centralized exchanges that uh, where you can buy and sell crypto, but the exchange itself owns the private key to that digital wallet. But there are also decentralized exchanges where the, the actual owner owns the, the private key. And so I do think that nifties are a shift even more towards this type of decentralization of ownership where we can have you know, rather than large, uh, you know, conglomerates owning artwork or selling rights to that artwork, you know, that, that this is a, a way in which some of that can be decentralized and distributed. And so I view it as, you know, a, a next step in this evolution of, you know, not just doing money online, but if you think about like ICOs, how do you do crowdfunding online? And now it's like, how do you uh, decentralize ownership online? And I, I think there's a lot of potential from moving that direction. Well, I think it's important for listeners, regardless of where you may sit in the nifty ecosystem, a buyer, a seller, a speculator, someone who wants to invest, someone who wants to commoditize these assets. You know, I think it's important to, as you, you know, as you dip your toe, think about the nature of the transactions that you want to be entering into and think really hard to yourself. Like the CFTC has come out and said that they're going to put together 
um, you know, a very holistic framework for digital assets by 2024. Um, and there can be no, right, there's no question that NFTs are digital assets. But also remember, you know, if what you're doing is is pooling these assets together and trying to turn a profit and you do want to speculate on the market, be careful that you're not, you know, accidentally stumbling upon a secure an unregulated securities transaction or or running afoul of the, you know, securities laws. And I hate to even say this, but, you know, I my show is on provoke.fm and we have a lot of financial services listeners. There is sort of this this issue out there that some lawyers are talking about, but not a lot of finance folks are talking about. And that's sort of the notion that nifties could, could be viewed by regulators as substitutes for value. And that brings up questions about the Bank Secrecy Act. That's literally the subject of a whole other episode. So maybe we'll have you back uh, with, with someone to talk about that. But then we've got to start uh, talking about, you know, money transmission, legal compliance, and like the rest of crypto that thought it was going to, you know, in, in its perfect world was going to exist without regulatory oversight. Ten years later, we see that that's certainly not the case. Um, and I think the same will be true for nifties, although as we were discussing before we started recording, I hope it's less than a decade before, you know, before we can figure that out. So uh, last last question of the episode, and then you know our time's going to come to a conclusion. But Lamont, is this a bubble or is this the future? So Dara, I think it's both. Uh, maybe that's not. Oh, that a fair, was such a lawyer yeah. answer. <laughs> <gasps> that was such a lawyer answer. I can't. I don't know if to be annoyed or proud. Yeah, maybe we're more similar than we think. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's currently in a bubble. I don't think there's any question about that. You know, just the, the prices that we're seeing, you know, the, uh, the millions of dollars that people are paying for artwork or even some of these uh, video clips. So, you know, I think it's very speculative right now. It's very frothy. And, and I think that's gonna just have to play itself out. But I think we've seen these episodes in other forms of crypto or digital assets as well. You know, Bitcoin has gone through a number of these cycles and every time it crashes, people say, well, that's the end of Bitcoin. And, you know, um, that proves that, Bit yeah, that Bitcoin had no value <laughs> and then it comes back. And so I think we're going to. And then some. Yeah, right? and then exactly. Some. And so I think we're going to see a crash in the, the NFT space. I think, you know. There's a good chance that we see like an NFT winter uh, or a nifty winter. Oh, maybe you, I'm going to coin that. You've heard it here. Um, because That's we, right. We, you heard it from Lamont Black on the Tech on Reg <laughs> podcast, a nifty winter. Yeah. I mean, we saw the crypto winter before the uh, resurgence that we've seen recently. So I, I'm a, a tech enthusiast. I think you are too. And I think everybody is still kind of scratching their heads saying, okay, well, what, what, with a nifty, what do I actually own? And, you know, is this just simply cool or is it somehow some psychological value? But I think over time, we're going to see this play out as a, a, a new and interesting way of recording ownership. And so far, I think these applications to, you know, digital works of art are, are super interesting. But I think about like, as this plays out into other types of assets and other types of 
ownership, you know, that's part of where blockchain applications are starting to go, you know, establishing ownership, establishing ownership rights, whether that's a digital asset or a physical asset, you know, the internet of things, if we can start to really come to agreement on who owns what and how that's recorded, then I think there's a lot of applications that go well beyond what we're seeing today. I would have to wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, so remember, listeners, before you spend $69 million on a nifty, maybe talk with a lawyer or two or five uh, and get some insight to make sure that you're not accidentally entering a transaction that you didn't mean to enter into. Um, Lamont, thank you so much for joining us today. I thought this was a super interesting conversation and we will see um, if the nifty winter is coming. Sounds good. Thank you, Dara. Bye, everyone. <laughs>